Amen. So we are on Mark chapter 8, verse 11. We're going to land on verse 11 this morning. So if you have your, your Bibles, you will see in your programs there that we're going to be in Mark 8, 11 through 13. So if you have your Bibles or your iPad or your phone, whatever you use these days, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 8, verse 11. And we're going to be in those few verses there. And we can all stand for the reading of God's word. And the word of the Lord says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Let us pray once more. Heavenly Father, we come to you once again, and we ask that you would bless our time in your word, that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive, that you would uh, clear all distractions so we can learn from your word, uh, that you would be with me, your servant, when I exposit your word, I might do so faithfully, clearly, and without bias. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. So, after the feeding of the 4,000, for those who were here last week, you may remember that we looked at Christ feeding the 4,000, and here we pick it up. After feeding the 4,000, the Pharisees, which were the Jews who viewed themselves as the keeper of the law, we've been seeing them throughout the book of Mark, we've seen them show up, antagonizers, we see them showing up to argue and confront Christ, and they do so again here. They come and begin to argue with him. In other words, they, they didn't come in peace. They came with an agenda. They came to disprove and discredit him. They came to oppose him. They were seeking a sign from heaven. Now, immediately we ask, didn't they already see Christ perform many signs? I mean, they saw the healing of the, the blind man, the, the lame man. They saw the healing of the man with the withered hand. They saw all kinds of miracles. What kind of sign were they seeking this time? Well, what they were seeking was a sign from heaven, one that indicates that the Father was here, some kind of sign from God the Father, something that came from the heavens, not coming from this man named Jesus. Now, what exactly the type of sign they wanted to see, we are unsure. However, they saw something from above, something from God the Father. And in verse 12, we read, He sighed deeply in his spirit indicating his frustration in these Pharisees. He goes on to say, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. In other words, he refused their request. He knew that they weren't sincere. He knew that their motives were not pure. He knew that they were coming to test him. So he refused their request. So he left them, he got into the boat, and went to the other side, it says. What we see here is a display of an unbelieving heart. The Pharisees' heart was so hard that they refused to believe even though they saw. They refused to believe what they already saw, the miracles, the healings, the mighty works. They saw them all, yet they still refused to believe. I titled this sermon, Opposing Faith, because I want us to take away a few lessons from this short narrative here that we read. We have here an example of opposing faith. And this is not a, a place where we want to be as believers, as children of God. We don't want to be on the other side of faith. We don't want to be opposing faith. We all come to Christ with our requests, right? We all come to him with petitions that we want him to answer. And the question is, do we come to him like the Pharisees? Do we come to him in doubt with an unbelieving heart, opposing faith? 
what can we take away from this narrative and what can we see about the doubt as we come before him? Now, we're going to look at a few things that we see that we can take away from this narrative here on opposing the faith because we don't want to be opposing the faith. And number one, we'll see that opposing faith displeases God. Let's look at verse 12. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Now, the original word for sighed here means to, to groan in the spirit. The, the word is actually a rare word to use. This is the only time in the New Testament, and it's only found 30 times in the total Greek literature. So this is a, it's a very unique word for him to use, and we see him using it here. They came to, to doubt him. They came to, to discredit him. And the scripture tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, many of us come to him with our requirements. And do we come in faith? Do we come believing him for who he says he is? Or do we come in doubt? So the first thing that we got to see is that we must not come to him in opposing faith. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9 through 12 says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, many will say this context in this passage is speaking about the, the final Antichrist, the one who is to come before the coming of the Lord. However, in 1 John 4, 3, if you remember, we are told about the spirit of the Antichrist that is already come into the world. After all, to oppose Christ is to be Antichrist, right? And those who oppose him walk in the spirit of the Antichrist. So it says, as it says here in 2 Thessalonians, they refuse to love the truth. And because they reject the truth, they are what? They are given a strong delusion. Rather than believing what is true, they believe what is false. To them, falsehoods are the truth. Every philosophy, every theory, every system that seeks to discredit God or the Bible or the work of Christ must be true. This is why so much time and energy are put into things like evolution and humanistic psychology and, and gender studies because we just can't accept the truth of scripture that, that God created the earth in six days, that we were formed in his image and that he only made two genders. Do you realize that to say that is scandalous in this day and age? Because we live in an age that is so far doubted the things of God that it now lives in a strong delusion. So much so that everything that is so obviously true, like there are only two genders, has to be proven false. This is a warning to us. We must make sure that we don't allow this kind of doubt to seek into our own hearts to distrust the things of God and to distrust the work of Christ to where we seek to discredit it. What will we do when we see God working in places we thought were impossible for him to work in? What will we do when Christ is doing things we thought we'd never see? Will we say, no, no, this can't be? Will we be like the Pharisees and seek to oppose him? Luke 9, 49, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Here we have the disciples expressing a little doubt. They, they see someone else doing the work of Christ and they say, this, this cannot be. 
We are the only ones who have been commissioned. We are the only ones who walk and talk with Christ. He can't be moving over there. He can't be moving in that person or in this person. But as Christ says, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. In other words, I'm not only working over here. I'm working over there too. I'm not only working for you. I'm also working for them. Even the one you don't want me to work for. Even the one you don't want me to work in. I'm not only moving the way you think I'm supposed to move. I'm moving in ways you can't even imagine. I'm moving when and where you think I'm not in areas that you think I won't work in, even in places you might not want me to work in. The doubt of the Pharisees led them to oppose the work of Christ. Let us take heed. Let us go on. Another thing that we see is that it opposes faith. Let's look one one step back at verse 11. We'll read, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Now, again, let us consider for a moment everything that the Pharisees may have seen and may have heard. He healed the lame. He healed the blind. He healed the mute. He cast out demons. He calmed storms. He even fed thousands of people with a few loaves and fish. And yet they still ask him for a sign. I mean, how much more of a sign do you need? It's like a woman who receives chocolate and flowers and a nice card from a certain guy, and she asks, I wonder if he likes me. Well, of course he likes you. There was this man who was praying that God would, would send him a sign. So one day he was, uh, he was at his house, and it was a hurricane, and the, the waters begin to come high. So he goes onto the top of his roof, and he cries to God, and he says, Lord, send me a rescue. Help me. I want to see you move here. I want to see you move. So along comes a boat, and the the guy in the boat says, you know, jump in, jump in. I'm here to save you. He goes, no, I'm waiting on the Lord. So the boat takes off, and then a helicopter comes and lowers down a ladder and says, come up here. I'll help you. He goes, no, I'm waiting on the Lord. So then he finally drowns, and when he gets to heaven, he said, Lord, how come you didn't help me? And the Lord said, well, I send you a boat and helicopter. See, that's, that's how we are sometimes with our unbelief. We, we see God moving, but yet we still don't believe that it's him. This is what the, the Pharisees were doing. They were refusing to trust in everything they saw with their very own eyes. Everything they saw Christ do, but yet they were asking for more. And again, it makes you wonder what they wanted to see. What was it that they were looking for in this sign that they asked for? If the miracles that Christ had already done wasn't enough, what would be enough? After everything they saw Christ do, what would be enough for them to believe? And before we judge them too harshly, let us remember our unbelief. Let us remember when we see yet fail to believe. Our doubt is the enemy of our faith. For what is faith but believing without seeing? As Hebrews 11:1 tells us, it is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. If we need to see it to believe it, then it's not really faith. And yet at times we do see and still fail to believe. We've seen God come through time and time again. We've seen him come through when it looked like he wouldn't. We've seen him rescue us in our time of need. We've seen him provide for us when we were out of options. Time and time again we've seen evidence of God's work in our lives. And yet still it isn't enough. It still isn't enough to trust him during the next storm. It still isn't enough to believe that he will make a way where there seems to be no way. Hebrews 3, 12 through 19, 
If you'd like to go there, it's, it's a little, little longer of a passage. I'm going to go ahead and read it here if you'd like to follow along. Hebrews 3, 12 through 19. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, un, uh, with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For those who had heard and yet rebelled, was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to him did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, the author of Hebrews here is speaking of a rebellion or the rebellion. And he's referring here to the rebellion that we read about in the Old Testament. When the Israelites refused to trust God and they refused to believe God. And if you know the story of the Exodus, you will know about everything that God did for them. You will know that everything God did to free his people from Egypt. What did he do? He sent them great signs and wonders from heaven. You remember? He sent them plagues to Egypt. He, he turned water into blood. He parted the Red Sea. He gave them food from heaven. And yet, after all that, they still didn't believe. They still didn't trust that he would do what he said he would do. And as the author of Hebrews says here, this is an evil, unbelieving heart. So we must exhort one another daily not to fall into this cycle of being cynical, of not believing that God can do things for us, even things that seem impossible. Because the one thing we don't want to do is for our hearts to be hardened, lest one day we close our eyes and never open them again. Lest the day come where we can't hear God when he's speaking so clearly to us. So we have to be careful that our doubt does not oppose faith. My next point is that doubt leaves us empty-handed. Look again at the second half of verse 12. Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, the Pharisees came to him seeking the sign, and they were not given one. They walked away empty-handed because they came to him with a closed hand. They came to him in doubt. They came to him attempting to disprove and discredit him. And for that, not only did they not receive the sign that they were looking for, Christ also left their presence. There they were alone on the shores, contemplating what had just happened. This Christ who was doing everything for everyone else felt to do anything for me. There they were wondering what just went on. This Christ refused to give us a sign. He refused because he knew their motive. He refused because they did not come to him in faith. He refused because they came to him in doubts. They came to discredit him, not to receive. They came to prove that he was wrong not believing or trusting anything about him, in the same way we should not expect to receive when we don't come in faith. When we come with our minds made up that he's not going to move or he's not going to intervene in my situation. Look at James uh, chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, there's a couple of things to note in this passage. First, in context, it is speaking to those asking for wisdom, which means that it is speaking to those who are asking something good from God, something that God is willing to give. That's the first thing to note, because our asking must be for the right things and for the right reasons. Wisdom is a good thing. It's a good and honorable thing to ask for wisdom. So that's the first thing that we, we must know. We must ask for good things, things that are accordance with his will, not selfish things that are only in accordance with ours. Because we believe him for all he is. He is who is he? He is God, the maker of heaven and earth. He is the one who shakes the nations, the one who created man from the dust of the ground, the one who speaks and it comes to pass. If, if, if I believe in that God, a God that told the waters that you can only come this far, a God who shuts the mouths of lions, a God who calms violent storms and who changes the seasons, if I believe in that God, then I believe in a God who can fix my marriage. I believe in a God who can restore my relationship with my son or daughter. I believe in a God who can see me through this financial crisis. If I believe in a God who shaped the earth when it was dark and void, surely I can believe in a God who will shape my heart when it's dark and void. Because that's just who he is. And here's the thing. That's who he is whether we see it or not. Whether he heals my sickness or takes me out of my financial situation or he leaves me there to teach me something and to show me something, he is the same God that changes not. And our faith is in that God. Our faith is not what, what he can do or cannot do. It is not dependent on what he does or does not do because there are times that he may not do things that he can do. See, there may be a reason why he's not doing it in the moment, but that shouldn't shudder our faith in him because he can do it. And see, this is why he is so displeased with our doubt because our doubt is not an, indi an indictment on what he can do, it's an indictment on who he is. It's an, not an affront to his work. It's an affront to his being. What would displease you more? If your husband told you that this wasn't the best meal that you ever made, or if your husband told you you're not a good wife because you can't cook? A word of advice, man, don't say either. Just eat the food. <laughs> but of the two... The letter would be worse, right? Because you're not just insulting my effort. You're insulting my personhood. You're insulting who I am. You're not just saying I made a bad meal. You're saying I'm a bad wife. This is what our doubt tells God. Not that I don't believe you can do this or that, but that I don't believe you are who you say you are. So we must be careful when we doubt and remember who it is we are doubting. Numbers 14, 11. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me and how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done to them? We must remember the things that he's done in our lives. When we look back at our life, the first thing we remember is how he saved us from the, from the pit of hell. The first thing we remember is how he made us see what we did not see, who opened up our ears to hear what we did not hear. That is what we must remember. He has given us the faith to believe. 
See, the faith that we have wasn't a faith that we mustered because we're somehow better than the next person. The faith that we have is a gift from the Almighty God. We've got to remember that we have been given this faith. And if he has given us this faith, why would he hold anything else from us? Why would he hold behind the good gifts that he has for us? We must remember to ask in faith without doubting. And again, the faith is in God. It's not in the substance of what we are asking for. So whatever good petition we bring before his throne, we must bring it to him in faith. For if we doubt, we should not expect to receive. Coming to him while we doubt is being unstable. Coming to him in doubt is being tossed around and driven like the wind. It's being double-minded. We can't make up our minds if we trust him or not, if we believe who he says he is or not. Just like the Pharisees on that shore, we too can expect to leave empty-handed when we come to him in doubt. When we come to him as a skeptic, not really sure if we believe or trust in who he is. But on the flip side, when we come to him in faith, when we come to him believing in who he says he is, then we can expect to receive. In doubt, we should not expect anything, but in faith, we should expect everything. For by faith, we have been given everything. By faith, we have been given salvation. By faith, we have been given assurance. By faith, we have been given the victory. By faith, we are overcomers. And even if we don't see it, or even if it doesn't feel like it, that even if it feels like the world is getting the best of us, by faith, we are more than conquerors. By faith, we know that the enemy will be defeated. Sickness, depression, loneliness, anxiety. What else do you got? Sin? Even our biggest enemy, death, will be crushed under the feet of Christ. And by faith, we lay hold to that. We believe in that. 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We overcome the world because he has overcome the world. By grace, we have been saved through faith, and with our salvation comes this union with Christ. If he is a conqueror, then guess what? We are conquerors. Is he, if he is a, a victorious one, then guess what? We are victorious ones because we have been united with him by faith. It is through faith that we are seated in heavenly places. But those who doubt should not expect to receive. For doubt opposes Christ. Doubt opposes faith. Doubt displeases God. And it will leave us empty-handed. But faith embraces Christ. Faith pleases God. Faith will leave us walking away from Christ with our hands full rather than empty. And again, it is a faith that comes from above. It is a gift. Lest we think that we are better than someone else because we have faith, let us remember we only have faith because it comes from God. And because he has shined upon us, because he has looked down graciously upon us, because he has given us everything. Without him, we can do nothing, not even believe. We believe because he has given us this faith. And with this faith, we trust in him. We don't allow our doubt to oppose him. 
or oppose faith. Amen? Let us stand up and pray.